If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love the neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus also agrees with James's uh, message today, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But I, I want to say a couple of things to you. And one of them is, what we say, we sow. And what we speak, we receive back. Now you might say, well, that's not true. What I say, I don't ever sow because I say I want to win the lottery and I don't win the lottery. It's not what that means. It's talking about relationship speaking, relationship saying. So what you say in a relationship, you sow back either from that relationship, from God or another relationship. Because of the, what, as we say sometimes, what you put out comes back. The measure you put forth, says Jesus, is the measure which you will be received with. And so what you speak comes back to you. And most of the time we don't understand that because our lives are so filled with conversations we don't even think about it. Do you often at the end of the day think, hmm, this is the conversation I had with this person. This is the conversation I had with that person. I wonder maybe if I should uh, say it a little differently and then go back to that person. Do you do that at the end of the day and just go over your day and think about those things? Or do you just leave it like it is and say, well, you know, they know who I am and... Sometimes I mess up. The reason I ask that is because the most important part of growing in grace is realizing the places where we need to grow. Knowing the places where we struggle. It is not a sin to know that you have something wrong. As a matter of fact, it's a healthy part of walking in the faith to know that there's a part of your life God still needs to work on. Here's how you might say that. Everybody's broken in some way. Everybody needs a healing touch from God, a grace moment from God for something in their life. And we all can openly to ourselves at least and to God before God say, you know, and this is something that I'm struggling with and have been for years. Whether it's the way you think about people, the way you think about yourself or the world or your attitude, things like that, right? All those things. And if you don't bring those before the throne of God and, and who you are before the throne of God on a regular basis, you don't change. If you don't change, you don't grow. And if you don't grow, then as James says later, you have not shown forth faith. And therefore, your faith having no works is dead. We'll get into that a little later on. But what I'm trying to get at is most of our attitude, beliefs, and what we think come through our mouth. 
Even James tells us a little bit further on, the tongue is a little bitty thing, but it controls a six foot tall person, or a four foot tall person, or a ten foot tall person. The tongue can bless and curse, right? The tongue has that power, but it also speaks the heart. What's in your mouth is in your heart. And if you're saying it, you've been feeling it and thinking it. The question is, are you okay with leaving it the way it is or do you want God to be glorified as much as possible through your life? Well, let's see what James says. He says in verse 8, if you fulfill the law according to the Scripture, the royal law, which is you shall love your neighbors yourself, you do well. Words are a way to love. They're one of the five love languages, words of affirmation. Did you know words can hurt someone long after a bone has healed? Did you know that? That the memory of a word spoken harmfully can stay with a person for a lifetime. Whereas I've had a chipped ankle before and I don't even think about that anymore. I think about my cracked uh, radius now because it's still there. But after time, I pray that it will be healed up and I won't think about these few weeks anymore. But the words that are spoken sit in a place not like a broken bone. They break our trust. They break our confidence. And they break our belief that we're loved and that we matter. Those words settle. Now, when James says in this verse 8, to fulfill the royal law... By loving the neighbors yourself, he says something there that I don't know of anywhere else in the scripture it said, and that phrase is royal law. Have you ever heard that phrase, royal law, before? I mean, let me rephrase that. Have you ever heard of that phrase other than in this passage before? Because the royal law James is referring to is what Jesus gave in John 13. That you love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's also love one another as he has loved us. In the royal law in Deuteronomy, it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You ever, uh, look for, excuse me, Levit- Leviticus 19, not Deuteronomy, verse 18. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law is a royal law given by God, by Jesus, that has weight. We call Jesus' rules the golden rule. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would expect them to do unto you or have them do unto you. These are royal laws, divinely given. But we don't often call them royal laws because there's only a few that really transform your relationships. One of them is loving God, and the second one is loving your neighbor, and the third one is loving yourself. Those three. And accepting or receiving God's love is the beginning of all that. However, if you don't believe God has been gracious to you and has transformed your life by His divine work through Christ in you, if you don't believe that's happened, most likely you're not going to believe it will help anybody else either. Because it hasn't helped you. But if it's helped you, you believe it'll help another. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. If God can save me, he can save you. 
How many of us ever heard Jesus say directly, you're persecuting me? (laughs) Paul heard that. You're persecuting me from Jesus. I wouldn't want to hear that one. But I say this to you because the royal law of love comes out, as I said, in our words, actions, and attitudes. Those areas of our life. Now, if you... At the end of the day, look at those things in your life and say, you know, well, I really had trouble with my temper today. Or I saw somebody who needed help and I was just too busy. You know, Lord, I, I need to do better with that. Help me to see these things and be prepared ahead of time so I can be a graceful person with your mercy to those around me. Last week we learned we are administers of God's grace to the world around us. But here's what he says in verse 9. But if you show partiality, and he means in loving your neighbor, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And that was the crux of the message last week, that we should be uh, impartial and truly loving to one another because we're all in the same world with one another, but we are different as believers. Now, I want to take that thought another step further as James does that all of us have committed a sin so we're all in the same boat. Now, some folks say, oh, no, no, I'm not in that boat. No, that person's in a different boat. They're, they're completely different than me. I don't know them. I don't understand them. They think different. They act different. I'm not in that boat. You're in the same boat. Now, if you want to argue with it, you go ahead. But you're arguing with Jesus, okay? If you want to argue with Jesus, I can tell you sooner or later, you're going to lose that argument in a bad way. But if you lose it in a good way, which is to surrender what Jesus says, you win the argument. Because if you lose your position for Jesus' position, you win the argument because you become on Jesus' side. If you follow that logic and it wasn't too confusing, thank you. I tried not to do that more than once a year, but I did it in the revival too. Now, what he's talking about when he's saying the same boat. We read this when he says about partiality, but in verse 10. Whoever shall keep the whole law. Whoever keeps the whole law perfectly, but stumbles in one thing. One. He's guilty of it all. All. But now listen, we in our society classify some sin as worse than others. It's not. According to Scripture, we all are guilty. Well, this person did that. Therefore, he's, he's more guilty. The condemnation of sin is death. Even little ones and big ones, the condemnation, the consequences of sin, the wages, if you will, of sin is death. But you say, but but that big sin ought to have a bigger punishment than this little sin. That's because you live in a crime and punishment mentality from the world around you which you inherited when you were born. The world around you does not understand God's economy, that all unrighteousness is ungodly, and none of it is acceptable in His kingdom. 
None of it. But there's tolerance in our society with certain sins, but not with others. And you think about it, some sins are, are almost unmentionables even today. And yet you can say, well, yeah, you know, I drove too fast and broke the law. You know, it's you know, kind of a mess. But it wasn't God's law, uh, even though Paul enlisted under the authorities as under God's law. So it's never really... And, or we might say, yeah, I kind of told a little white lie, but it wasn't a real lie. It wasn't a big lie, and I didn't hurt anybody by it. It was just, wasn't quite all the truth, but, you know, I, I didn't want to tell the whole truth, but so it wasn't really, and we justify these things. But once we do that, we realize that we're trying to justify that we're guilty under the law. Amen. We're still stuck. Don't matter, Joe down the street is. Uh, killed 50 people, uh, robbed houses, and all we did was uh, said the bad name against somebody. We all stuck together. And we are truly stuck together. Somewhere along the way, I'll bet you, you said no to your mom and dad. Didn't do what they said. Somewhere along the way, probably. And if so, you got it. Broke the commandment of honoring your father and your mother. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, by the time you're three, you've said no to him probably a thousand times. <laughs> Terrible twos. No, no, no. They think that's what it means to say yes, please. No. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at is we all have the same consequences. We all have the same guilt. We all have the same level before God, which is no level. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from that mess into a new creation and a new family, which is the family of God. And He did that by His death, resurrection uh, on Calvary and from, from the grave. You understand, Jesus did for us what we could not do. He brought us back into a relationship where the consequences are paid. But that does not mean we can look at someone and say, look, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm better than you. It doesn't say that. Because then you become judgmental and you bring forth the judgment back on yourself. James says it like this. Whoever said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you don't commit adultery but you murder, haven't you broken a law? Sure you have. You become a transgressor of the law. In God's eyes, the law is 100% or nothing. There's no 99% of the way. You can't do most of it. If you can't fulfill it perfectly, and the law has been set up where you cannot, it has set you up to fail the law. The law has set you up to fail so you would know that you are under sin. You go, well, if we didn't have the law, I wouldn't be under sin. Then I wouldn't be under condemnation. I could do what I want and God never condemn me. He'd love me like I am. That's not what the logic should say. The logic should say this. If I am under the law and under sin because the law set me up for failure, that means the law is good because it shows me I need God. Then I can't do it on my own power. I can't save myself. These are the thoughts that we need to have. And yet, so often we look at some people around us when we're critical and we say, well, they ought to be doing better. 
People can't save themselves. And they're still stuck in the boat under law because they haven't come under what James calls the law of liberty. You see, the law doesn't set us free under condemnation. It sets us under freedom to Christ. But we stop at the law if we don't get to Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount? He was teaching the Beatitudes. Blessed are you if you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Well, in that passage, it's recorded in both Matthew and in Luke. He tells the crowd they're not to worry. Now, he tells the crowd to not worry or to be anxious because that is a trait of people who are under stress or difficult circumstances. We worry. We stress when we don't know where the answer is or what the answer is or where our next meal is coming from. We kind of stress a little bit. And, and so all along he says, so your father knows all the things that you need. Why, how can you worry and uh, make yourself taller? He says, you worry about food and clothing and all these things. And your father knows you need those things. And then he says something really curious. He says, the birds don't sow nor reap and they have plenty to eat. And they don't seem worried about it. And then he says this. And this is, the, this is one of the uh, verses I've known for a long time. Sang a song about it many times. But I never understood it like this in, until just very recently. He said, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil or work. They don't spin, which means they don't make yarn. And yet they are clothed in more splendor than King Solomon, who is the richest and smartest man on earth, who had the best clothing on earth that money could buy. Now, imagine Jesus is saying those words to someone who's looking at a person who's not dressed too well, and they are, and they're going, they need to dress better. And then God is looking at the person saying that and saying, look at my flowers, they're dressed better than you. And they're burnt up tomorrow. And you're, you're looking at someone here saying how poor they're dressed. Well, I'm looking at how you're dressed, and you're not even as good as my flowers. And you have room to talk about another person? The measure with which you judge will come back upon you. And so God says if we're going to pass that hate or shame or guilt rather than love on, then he's going to pour that to us and see that this is what we've asked for. Because we haven't really been transformed by his love. And so if I see someone, or if you see someone... And we see them as less than us. We think they're not in the same boat. Amen. They're not in the same boat as me. They can't be because they don't go to church. They don't love Jesus. They can't be in the same boat. We are all under the law in the same boat. Convicted of sin. We are all sinners in need of grace. And if I'm here to say this person needs to fix themselves when God's fixing me. There's a problem there. I see a person who's in need of grace and mercy. 
not condemnation. But if I don't see that, what have I done? I've become a judge, haven't I? I've become a person who no longer passes on the law of liberty, but the curse of the law. And I've not loved that person as I love myself. Because I'm expecting God to love me. Now, listen to this. I'm going to paraphrase this because it works really good. In Isaiah, it says all of our adornments, all of our best clothing to God are His filthy rags. You, you cannot miss this and get this message. So please listen to this. When God looks at you, He sees you as destitute, broken, dirty, unclean, clothes ragged, shameful. And God looks at you and says, I love you. I'm giving my son for you and I'm going to be there with you until you understand my grace and you become an agent of it. I'm going to keep pouring into you through the people around you and showing you who I am to you. This is what God keeps doing. And we keep saying, well, these other people are different. And God saying, no, we're all the same. God sees us the same. We see them different. God does not. And we use our vision and what this world has taught us rather than what God did, which shows us we're like the world. And if we're like the world, we're in the same boat as them. Because we're judging them the same way they judge each other. No, 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 I'm a Christian. I I don't judge them. If you're using the standards of the world rather than God's, you are in the world's judgment in your thinking. Scripturally says so. I thought that was kind of funny because what if it was uh, King Solomon there that Jesus was talking to when he talked about the lilies of the field? King Solomon, smartest man on earth. What do you think about your clothes? He goes, best money can buy. But I don't look half as good as what you adorn every summer in the fields. Because you adorn with beauty and grace and holiness and righteousness. And all I do is put on clothes. Makes a little more sense, doesn't it? It does to me. And so he says in verse 12, and this is why this now works. So speak and so do as those who are judged by the law of liberty. The law that sets you free from that mess. Not by the law of condemnation, but by the law of freedom, which says you become free to embrace and love another regardless of their circumstance and regardless of yours. Uh, I don't like verse 13, but he wrote it and we can't skip it. And some folks are going, um, can we just pretend 13 isn't there like they do in the high rises? No, we cannot. Verse 13, and this is where James puts the power to this message. Judgment is without mercy to anyone who shows no mercy. I I can't say it any more clear. If you're judging others, God's going to do the same thing to you without mercy. In other words, our property is to have mercy as our Heavenly Father does for us. 
And if we're not extending that to someone else, it means we don't really understand what He's doing for us. We think we deserve it. And they don't. And God says, you will never disseminate my mercy impartially without knowing that it's truly impartial. No partiality. It goes to all, not just you. A lot of people say, I don't want to talk about my religion. Good, let's talk about ours. I don't want to talk about my faith. Don't, let's talk about Jesus's. Your faith don't save you, His does. Mine doesn't work. My righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's a nice way of saying Isaiah. And he says this in verse 13. And don't miss this because this is the power. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I've been criticized before. Did you know that? I imagine you have been criticized somewhere along the way in your life. And that criticism probably felt like condemnation when you got it or judgment or someone saying that they don't approve of you. And that judgment probably set inside you and made you think you weren't a very good person or you didn't do a very good job. I used to have an employer that didn't have much grace in, in peer re- or employee reviews. An employer review for that company was a grill and burn session. It wasn't, here's what you're doing well. Here's what you can improve on. Thank you for being a part of our company. It would bring out a profit and loss sheet and say, here's the part where you could have improved our bottom line and you did not. This is where we think you should be more profitable. (laughs) And this is where we think you don't deserve more than what you're getting. You're not our most profitable person. Judgment like that makes you go, oh man, they must think I'm a bad person. Rather than saying, there's some areas you can work on. We're giving you a little bit of a raise. It's a second tier, not a third tier, fourth tier, but you're doing some work and we think you're doing some good. We want to encourage you in these areas to grow and and we're going to help you. That's not how it was. It was, you need to do better. Never trained how, never trained why. Just you need to do better. Would you stay in that environment healthily very long? Or would you like an environment where you're encouraged? Where people say, you know, you must have had a tough time. Well, isn't that the year your mom died? Isn't that the year that um, you lost your home in a fire? Isn't that the year where um, you were going through that divorce? Isn't there grace? Or is it all about the bottom line? Our world's about the bottom line. God's about the grace. And His people are about the grace and the mercy and the compassion. But if we don't show it, we show judgment and God's saying, you're not getting it. So I'm going to have to give you what you're not getting. (laughs) And God keeps pouring out grace where we deserve judgment. I'm telling you, we all mess up every day. And God says, I'm going to give you another day tomorrow to get it right. To do it again and try over. But tomorrow, think about what you did today and see if it reflected my son in you. And if not, ask me to help you. 
Ask me to put my spirit in you. Because I am a loving heavenly father who loves you. And I prefer mercy. My property is to always have mercy. My mercy endures forever. And now I want to show you how to make yours do the same. Is your property to have mercy on someone struggling around you? Or is it to be condemnation? To struggle with even wanting to give them time. Here's the truth. We get burnt out. We get worn out. So many distractions in this world. But I promise you, God's called you to a certain place in your life where you don't get burnt out. When you do it, you get energized. Because God's flowing through you in those moments. And it energizes you. And you feel stronger in those moments, not burnt out. Not, oh, i got to do this again. But, wow, look what God's doing to you. How did God do that? How did that happen? And you get excited because God's using you. That's when you know you're an agent of mercy. And you cannot do that without the giver of mercy. The giver of all grace. And He gave it to us at this time of year in the form of Jesus Christ. You can't have mercy and grace without Jesus. But once you have Him, God can inspire and imbibe you with His Holy Spirit and fill you with it so you can be an agent of those things to the people around you. I've been saying a long time in James now, love first, first love. Now we're talking grace and mercy rather than judgment and condemnation. So pray each night and each morning, God, show me where my attitude, where my love, my grace, the mercy I'm showing isn't yours. Because right now, I don't want to do it. And truthfully, you can't without Him. It's impossible. That's the law of freedom. Is you can't do it without Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I sometimes wonder if uh, Your Word has uh, just said things that are impossible. And then I realized that was Your intent all along. To share things that are impossible. Because You wanted us to come to You and ask for help. To not rely on our own wisdom, our own strength. Even Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, says, I don't have any wisdom. And You gave it to him. So help us recognize our weaknesses, our brokenness before You that we may come to You and say, God, help us. Help me. Help me to be who You need me to be to the world around me because this world doesn't know You. And I haven't always been a good example. God, shine. Shine this day through this church, through each person here, that we might be the light to Your family around us. To the people who don't know You, who we've long considered that they weren't in the same boat as us, but they are. Remind us of that, Heavenly Father. Amen.